turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26. As we've already seen here in the book of Genesis, when God wants to say something more than once, it's always a good thing to listen extra carefully. Amen? And tonight, kind of continuing in that basic theme from last week, and yet from a slightly different place, now we see Isaac facing the temptations of his father. The Apostle Paul, as he would write to the church at Corinth in chapter 10, would remind us that there's no temptation but that which is common to man. We, we all face temptation. And those temptations basically come in some categories that have been pretty consistent throughout the time that mankind's been on the earth. Amen? Anybody here battled with running away from problems? You don't have to raise your hand. Mine's up. Anybody battled here with occasionally not telling the truth because you're afraid of the consequences, situations, or maybe the things that are going to come into your life because if you tell the truth, somebody may think the wrong thing about you? Didn't start with you. Didn't start with me. Goes back to our forebears, our forefathers. It goes back to Abraham. And it goes back to Isaac. And so as we pick up here in verse 1, we'll take the first 11 verses tonight. And the temptations of his father. That's what's in view in this particular passage. Isaac is now going to face, for the first time, his opportunity to trust the Lord. For those of you that are parents, one of the things that we have to deal with as parents is there comes a point in time when we have to trust our children to the Lord. Amen? When they're younger, you kind of walk a little with them through those things. You even make decisions for your children. Sometimes you protect them from having to make those decisions in making them for them. But ultimately, your children have to choose to walk with the Lord themselves. And that's where we find Isaac, even though by now uh, he's an aged man. And he's going to face something for the first time. And so would you pray with me? We'll pick up in verse 1. Father, we again are just a bunch of kids. Lord, that have walked into your living room and we desire to hear from you from heaven. That you, Abba, Father, Dad would speak to us and instruct us. And so we give you this time tonight. Pray that you would anoint your word to our hearing and understanding, that you would bless us with truth, and that truth would be something tangible that we can use this week as we live out our lives here on this earth for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. There was famine in the land. We've heard that story before, amen? Where did we hear it? In the life of Abraham, the life of dad. There's famine in the land. And it goes on to put this in framework for us besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. So it has been in excess of 100 years 
since the last major famine in the land. And during that time, Abraham, Sarah have passed off the scene. Isaac's taken the mantle. He's now going to face something as the dad, as the father. And he learned how to face this temptation from his father. And so Abraham passed on to Isaac exactly what Isaac is going to do now. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. And just so you understand the word Abimelech, it actually is a title. It's much like we would use governor or the Egyptians would use Pharaoh. Um, It was not a singular person, but it was a person who held the office. It was a prince of the king. And so this is a ruler of the land of the Philistines. The Philistines, of course, are the mortal enemies of the Jewish people. But they happen to inhabit a strip of land along the coast of modern-day Israel that we call Gaza and extended up into the more fertile region that's almost directly to the west of Jerusalem. And so here in this coastal strip where they would have access to the sea, um, where there are a number of rivers that flow down into that area, um, the Philistines seem to be a little less prone to undergo this famine that's in the land. And the reason I'm being specific here is as you think about that, the real thing that's happening here is Isaac is being tempted to compromise with the world and turn to the flesh because he knows who the Philistines are. He knows that they do not worship his father's God nor his God. He knows that they're carnal. He absolutely knows that they do not see the world the way he sees it. And yet, for the purpose of security in worldly things, he's willing to at least take a look at moving in with the world. He's tempting to think about making compromise in his life. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. There's two ways to look at this phrase. One is, he's being instructed, do not go down to Egypt like your father did. Or, what could also be the case is, don't go to the Philistines, which is a type of Egypt. Both could be true, and both present the same point to us. Don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Do you see the tie-in to this morning's message if you were with us? We are constantly being presented with opportunities to hear the word of the Lord and obey the word of the Lord or hear the word of the Lord and turn a deaf ear to what God has said. So far as we know, this is the first time recorded in Scripture anyway, that God has personally appeared to Isaac. And the word of the Lord to him is, don't follow after the world. For all that is of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is perishing. 
You see, he's really getting a New Testament lesson here in the Old Testament. So don't follow after the world. Go where I tell you to go and stay where I tell you to stay and dwell in this land. And I will be with you and notice the result. The path to God's blessing is always obedience. It's hearing the word of the Lord and doing what he says. We see it again in this passage. I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so again he repeats the Abrahamic covenant. He says, I, I'm going to keep the covenant, but I want you to be the recipient of the, of the blessings of that covenant. And unless you heed the word of the Lord, unless you listen to what God says and do what he says, you can know what the covenant is. You can know what God wants to do and you can miss what he's doing. And this is such an important truth for us today because we can hear the voice of the Lord. You can come to church, you can attend Bible study, you can hang out with Christian friends, you can do your devotion, read your Bible, you can go through the one-year Bible actually in one year, and you can still not follow the Lord. You can pray all day, every day, and God can speak into your life. But if God speaks and you do not listen and will not do what he says, then you will not inherit the blessings that he has for you. Blessings are the effect of principally obedience in our life. Beyond the providential care that God gives to everyone universally, if you want to be blessed, listen to the voice of the Lord and do what he says. There's no shortcut to it in every area, every aspect of your life. He said, I'm going to give you and your seed All the nations of the earth will be blessed for you because Abraham obeyed my voice. And notice, he's saying, look, there's some things your dad didn't do right, but there's a couple of things he did in his old age that he did right. He obeyed my voice. He didn't do it perfectly at first, but he listened. He obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, when I spoke to Abraham, he didn't just hear and then not do, he did. And he kept it line on line, precept on precept, every commandment, every statute, and every law. And the reason this is important is sometimes we think we're okay and we're going to be where God will bless us when we just keep the big things. I didn't murder anybody this week, haven't robbed any banks didn't commit any type of major sexual sin. But you know what? I'm bitter, mean-spirited, and nasty most of the time. You see, God has a problem with all of the things that he's told us in his word and us not keeping them. doesn't make you saved or unsaved, but it can surely make you blessed or unblessed. 
You're not saved because you keep the commandments. You're not saved because you keep the statutes. You're not saved because you keep the laws. But you are blessed if you do them. You're blessed if you keep God's commandments. You're blessed if you walk in his ways. You're blessed if you do your very best to do what God's asked you to do. So when God tells us in these massive lists that we find in the New Testament what he really expects out of his kids, you notice that a lot of those things in there are things like contention and anger and hatred and bitterness and jealousy and covetousness. It's not just these things that we tend to focus on. It's a whole bunch of other things. God wants to bless us, so the little things matter to God. Our attitudes matter to God. And if you want the very best that God has for you, then you need to give him your very best. And so do I. And so Isaac dwelt, notice where he goes. Where are the Philistines? Gerar. Where does Isaac go? He goes running to the world. Gerar. And the men of the place ask about his wife. Have you heard this story before? (laughs) It's like, dude, what are you thinking? And he said, she's my sister. Where did he learn that one? Dad. We are lame sometimes, amen? We know what's going to happen. We've watched it go generation after generation, and now let's expand it a little bit. How about issues with alcohol and drugs? You think that works there? How about poor relationships where you don't wait for marriage? You think it fits into that category? How about greed? How about avarice? You you see, we can pass along to our kids things that when they see us do them, Sometimes they forget what actually happens to us because of them because we have a tendency to try and protect them from the sullying of our reputation. So we may admit that we had an issue in summary, but we don't tell them what happened. And so our kids are looking at it and go, well, you know, it didn't work out that bad for my parents. And they used to do that. I mean, they toked every day. They were over there, you know, they were like, peace, you know. (laughs) They're kind of normal. But you don't tell them about the time you got thrown in jail. You don't tell them about the time you got in a car wreck. You don't tell them about the time you lost your job. You don't tell them about those things. And then later they figure out, hmm, sure wish you'd given me the whole picture. And I doubt very seriously that Abraham gave the whole picture to Isaac. For he was afraid to say, she's my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, for she is beautiful to behold. And now it came to pass when he'd been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through the window and saw, and there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. 
And then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she's your wife. How could you say she's my sister? And Isaac said, because I said, lest I die on account of her. What a wimp. It's like, dude. Surprise, there's not like another line in there, and Rebecca left Isaac, you know? It's like, <laughs> didn't your dad teach you anything? And Abimelech said, what is this that you've done to us? One of the people might have soon lain with your wife And you would have brought guilt on us. Man, is it a tragedy when the world thinks clearer than the church. Amen? When people who don't know the Lord act with a greater sense of moral understanding than we who are supposed to be the children of the true and the living God. Here is a heathen pagan correcting Isaac about his behavior. And so Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Man, that is, that's unbelievable. That's what that is. And so as I said as we began, God's faithful to repeat what we need to hear. Amen? And there's a number of things in this passage that I think it's important for us to understand. God's been faithful to this family, hasn't he? This is the first time in a hundred years there's been a famine in the land. So they've been living a pretty good life where God planted them. Isn't that weird how we can come upon one situation in our life and all of a sudden the sky is falling? We're like Chicken Little. We're wandering around. The sky is falling. God's been completely faithful for our entire lives. Well, you know, I'm done. You know, this whole faith thing. I mean, I've had to live it now for three hours. God expects us to go through these things. And in fact, these things are often uh, for our good. But I want you to notice something. You see this drought, this famine would have been very disastrous on, on the flocks and on the herds of Isaac. And in that sense, it's very much like something being disastrous on our bank accounts. Because they kept their wealth, in essence, in their herds and flocks. So if you were very wealthy, you had camels and donkeys and goats and sheep. You had all these things were stored up wealth. Very similar to you going down and checking your account balance. They're going, well, there you go, 14 sheep over there, and I got a couple of camels and three goats and two donkeys. I'm well off. And this is a warning to us that when we get too focused on the things of the world, we can look at the things that the world has and say, if any of that ever disappears, I'm done walking in faith. I'm going to go back to the world. Be careful when you start thinking that because something is no longer in your life that the only out you have is going back to the world. Because it never delivers what it promises. Ever. Oh, it'll promise you everything. Well, if you just had more money. If you just had a better relationship with the person that you're married to. 
If you were just a little higher up on the food chain in your job, if you had a little more of this and a little more of that, then that would be a sign of the blessing of the Lord. Can I tell you, that's possible that it could be a sign of the blessing of the Lord, but it's also possible it could be the enemy trying to distract you from the very things that God wants to bless you with. Be careful when the world looks tasty. When the world looks like, you know, maybe I want to go there. Be very, very, very careful. Those temptations that come are not new to humankind. Um, but the enemy will try and use them against you. When God speaks in our lives, you, you can almost be sure the choices are going to follow. This very much ties in with this morning's message. But it's really a truth of Scripture that's repeated over and over and over again. And so as the Lord had been speaking to Rebecca, remember before her twins were born, uh, there's, there's, there's conversation that's been had with the Lord in this family. They've listened to the word of the Lord. They've watched God work. They've seen God be faithful. And now they begin to doubt that. And basically what they get is a New Testament message in Old Testament times. And it's really the message that Paul would give to the church at Galatia. And, and as he says, he says, I, I, I'm saying to you, walk in the spirit. Isaac, Rebecca, walk in the spirit. You don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh are over there in Gerar. Oh, it looks good. The fields are better. There's more water. There isn't drought and famine over there. But they're going to take you away from me. How many times do we have that exact thing happen in our lives? You've got an opportunity to choose between friends. You've got an opportunity to choose in relationships. You've got an opportunity to choose in your employment. You've got an opportunity to choose where you go to school. You've got an opportunity to choose where you live. And the choice very often is between move in with the world or stay where you're at with the Lord. And maybe where you're at with the Lord is not quite what you would like yet. And so the enemy pushes you towards areas of compromise and gives you the same choices that we're going to see here in Isaac's life. You're going to get those choices. As Paul would write there in Galatians 5, if you don't want to fulfill the desires of your flesh, then you've got to walk in the Spirit. And there's going to be a war. You're you're going to have some conflict. I encourage you, mark that passage. It's verses 16 to 21 And you can see what those works of the flesh are. And Paul describes them there for us. He says they can be adultery and fornication, uncleanness and lewdness. Those are all sexual things. But it says it can also be idolatry and sorcery, which is the Greek word pharmakia, from which we get pharmacy or, or drug use. It can be things that attack your mind. Hatred contentions, jealousies. You see, that's what was in Gerar. Gerar was filled with the flesh. But they had full cabinets. They had lots of grain in their barns. Their flocks were well watered. It is never worth it 
to trade your walk with the Lord for a full barn, ever. I'd rather be poor and go home to be with Jesus than trade for the stuff that the world tries to squeeze out of you. In that list is dissensions and drunkenness and partying. Basically, God's saying, in effect, look, I want you to live where I have led you. I want you to live where I led you. I want you to be content right where you're at. I'm going to bless you. I promised that to you. Did not God promise that Abraham's descendants would be blessed? So what's the issue here? The issue here is not trusting God. The issue is a lack of faith. The issue is the inability to rest in the promises of the Lord. Whenever you find yourself doubting the promises of God, you're in a dangerous place. Not because that very moment is dangerous, but because of where that road leads. Because ultimately, you're then going to make worse choices later. When you begin to make choices based on your flesh, and you follow your flesh very far, pretty soon all that's left are flesh choices. Now God's able to rescue you, but the circumstances and consequences of what happens when you go down that road can be extreme. So be careful, because God wants to bless you, but he's not going to force you to stay where he's placed you. God's not like some ruling tyrant that says, well, you're going to be blessed right here and you're going to stay here whether you like it or not. No, God gives you the opportunity to go wherever you want to go, do whatever you want to do. And in doing so, he makes your love for him real. But you can make choices that are not good for you. You're going to face those. And so the secret to that blessed life is the same secret that James speaks to us in James chapter 1. If anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his face in a a mirror. You're looking at you going, you know, in my case, you look, oh, you look like you're 30. No, you you look like you're 60-something. You know, you you can look in the mirror. That's why we like to look at ourselves after you've taken a shower because it's all foggy. Man, you look good. That's the fog. You see, we're like our, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we go, no, I don't really look like, oh, you're old. That's not a receding hairline. That's a non-existent hairline, Jeff. It's gone, okay? But see, the natural man, the carnal man, the carnal woman looks at that thing in the mirror and won't acknowledge there's even any issues. You look in the mirror and you go, man, I look awesome. (laughs) You forget exactly what kind of person you are. You don't see any of the flaws. But if you're really walking with the Lord, you got to look at that law of liberty that allows you to make those choices that's going to pull you out of that so that you'll remember exactly who you are. See, when I remember exactly who I am, that I am a sinner saved by the grace of God, amen? 
that I'm a recipient of the blessings of God when I'm obedient to the things of God. When I remember who I am, when I look at myself realistically in the mirror and I say, yep, that's me. Then I start to take to heart seriously the things that God has said. Jeff, you're going to get tested. Jeff, you're going to get tempted. Jeff, there's going to be things that come into your life and you're going to need to make the right decision. And if you make the right decision, stick with it, you're going to be blessed. But I'm not going to force you to do it. It's going to be your choice. Being a doer of the word, not a hearer only because you can hear the truth and just simply walk away from it. And so to that end, God says to Abraham and says now, repeats to Isaac, Keep my charge, keep my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And while it's highly unlikely that Isaac had a copy of what we would call the book of Genesis, that would be codified later under Moses, but orally those things were passed down. It's like, here's what I I want from you, Isaac. Here's what I want from you, Jeff. Because truly, as Psalm 119 actually tells us, the word of God is settled forever in heaven. Amen? Amen? It's settled. God's character doesn't change. I change not, says the Lord. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the one who was and is and the one who is to come. So from his perspective, he's had the same criteria all along. He's just waiting for us to get the memo and then do something with it. Amen? For those of you that have been around a while, remember we used to use duplicate and triplicate forms? You know, I know for some of you that are younger, you can't imagine a world without electronic devices, but there was a time back when dinosaurs roamed the earth <laughs> that we used paper. And, and you would sit at a typewriter and you would type something out and it would be in duplicate, triplicate, or the dreaded quadruplicate. You had to hit the keys so hard that your fingers hurt, you know, from trying to type through those quadruplicate forms. But, but there was normally an office copy and there would be a president or a management copy and maybe there would be a job site copy. And then finally there would be an individual supervisorial copy. You see, sometimes we get the memo, but we don't like what it says. So we leave it on the seat of the truck. We sit on it a couple of times and it's kind of crinkled and now it can't be read anymore. And so we think because it can't be read, it doesn't say what it says. People treat the word of God like that. Oh, it was typed out by the master and it said what it said. It was a carbon copy of the very thing that was said at the beginning. Each person got the same memo, but because what you did with it was you put it on the seat of the truck of your life and you sat on it for a week, you no longer remember what it said because you can't see it anymore. And so you think to not do it frees you from any consequence of having not been a doer of the word. It's a dangerous place to be. Because God still remembers what was written on the memo. He knows that he's transmitted it to us. And so he holds us accountable to it. We have to be doers of the word. Let's face it, temptation is universal, amen? Anybody, if you've walked with the Lord for, let's say, six months, um, show me your hands if you've ever been tempted. Put your hands up. Yeah, I wasn't been tempted. 
mean, I, I sometimes go into my fridge and I, that's instant temptation. It's like, man, there's leftover pizza and there's leftover pasta and there's, what's this kale stuff? Kale, you used to like, if you have problem pests in your backyard, throw it out, they eat it and die. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're tempted. And the enemy knows exactly how to tempt you. He knows exactly what bait to throw at you. He knows what to do. And here's the good thing about it. From God's perspective, your faith is actually more valuable to you when it is tested. Amen? That's the whole context of James chapter 1, by the way. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and patience, when it has its full or complete work, leaves you lacking nothing complete. The testing of your faith is essential. Temptation actually can be a good thing when you hear the word of the Lord and do what the Lord says. So temptation in and of itself is kind of neutral in that sense. It's intended by the enemy to destroy you. It's intended by him to to put things both inside and outside of you to cause you to stumble and fall. But from God's perspective, it's God's opportunity for you to test and see that he's right and that he's good and that he does bless those who keep his commandments. He does bless those who walk in his ways. If you want to be complete and lacking nothing, then you, you have to be tested in that sense. Because that faith that is tested proves the worth of the faith. And so when God brings those trials into your life, God brings those tests into your life, when God brings famine into your land, God is actually giving you an opportunity to see that he is good. You realize that? That's what that actually is from God's perspective. From Satan's perspective, he's trying to get you to move in with the enemy. He's trying to get you to abandon the place that you are with the Lord and move into the territory of the Philistines. That's what the enemy wants. But what God wants is you to rest and trust in the Lord and stay right where he's asked you to be. Now, God can also move us, but in this case, in this analogy, God said, this is where I want you to be. And the way we can look at this is, well, you know, I just don't really, I don't feel like going to church anymore. I don't feel like reading my Bible. You know, I've been praying for like five minutes now and God hasn't answered. So, you know, I'm going to kind of give up on that. You know, I trusted God last week and I didn't get a new Bentley. I have yet to make my first million. I haven't gotten my management position yet. And after all, I have a bachelor's in kinesiology. And yes, I'm mocking a little bit because I think all of us at times think we're worth more than we're worth. Amen? Our real worth is found in Christ. It's not in our degrees. It's not in our homes. It's not in our cars. It's not in our bank accounts. The real value that you have, the eternal value that will outlast everything you will ever own on this earth comes from the Lord. Amen? So we need to stay in the Lord. That's our issue. Our issue is not more stuff in this life. It's storing up treasure in heaven for the next. 
And so we get messed up when we start looking at the world and we get tempted to walk away from the things that God's doing in our lives. God tests us in that sense with trials to bring out the very best in us. And as you grow in the Lord, one of the things you're going to find, you'll look back on those things in your life and you go, you know what? I really grew through that. But you have the opportunity to really not grow through that test as well. You can cave in. You can do what Isaac does here. You can pick up your roots and your family and you can move in with the enemy. And if you do, you're also moving out of the blessings of the Lord. And so Satan, on the flip side of that, tests you, in essence, to try and destroy you, to bring out the worst in you. So you've got to be careful how you respond to tests. Are you going to go towards the world, or are you going to go towards the Lord? That James 4 principle, and you can look again at, look at it later, the whole book of James, you can go through it all tonight. But in James chapter 4, there's an interesting thing that the Apostle James writes to us because he's kind of given us the cure um, for this very situation. And the first thing he says to us is submit to God. Then he says resist the devil. That's kind of what's going on here, isn't it? Submit to God what he's asked you to do. Do what he says and resist the temptations, the tests that come your way because the enemy's trying to draw you away. Draw near to God. Humble yourself. Clean up the mess that you've made in those areas to where, you know, you've got some issues. You see, but the truth is our human nature hasn't changed. We're still experiencing the exact same things that Isaac experienced, that Abraham experienced, and we're going to see that Moses is going to experience. Jacob's going to experience. Israel, as a nation, will experience the same things. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted. And we have to learn from those things. They're the same basic things that everybody has been tempted and tested with throughout time. There really is, as Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. Amen? The same basic things. What are those basic things? What are the things that we're tempted? What are some of the areas that you can see in this particular passage where we are tempted to repeat the things of the past? Winston Churchill was right. He was paraphrasing toward Santa Ana. You've got to learn from it. You fail to learn from history, you're you're doomed to repeat it. And And it's true spiritually. You can either watch those who've gone on before and learn from their mistakes, or you can repeat those same mistakes. Because inside of you, just like inside of them, dwells no good thing. Inside of you is a heart that's made out of flesh that's desperately wicked it's deceitful who can know it amen in inside of you are the same basic thoughts and desires that have been inside of every human being that's ever lived we have a propensity to be covetous we have a propensity to be jealous we have a propensity to be 
uh, engaged in sexual thought. We have a propensity to want more than we already have. We have the same propensities as every human being has ever had. When you look back through the Old Testament and you look at what's going on in our world today, you will find absolutely nothing new at its core basic temptation. People have been greedy for a very long time, amen? It's already caused a problem. Remember Cain and Abel? Well, you have favor with God. People have been jealous for a very long time. There's nothing new. And so a couple of them in this passage that we can see real easily. The first one is the temptation to run. The temptation to not take responsibility for the things that God allows in our lives is another way to look at it. The temptation to run is to try and flee those things which God is trying to use in your life. Probably one of the most basic problems that we have today in our world. We live in a world where nobody wants to take responsibility for anything that's going on in their life. It's always somebody else's fault. And if it's not someone else's fault, it's our DNA's fault. I was genetically disposed as a child, and this is why I'm like that. No, we're actually just sinners in need of a Savior. And while you may have some genetic things that might predispose you to all kinds of things, that also has been true for all of history. And so the problem becomes, do you actually trust God? And are you going to run from your problems or are you going to learn from your problems? Are you going to face them in the power of Christ or are you going to abandon ship and head towards Egypt? Head towards Gerar? Are you going to give up on the Lord long before uh, the test is over? We can look back at the life of Lot. I mean, here's Abraham, goes through this whole thing, he fights this, he's in the valley of kings and, you know, Abraham wins this battle and he's set free and all these things, these things happen. But what does Lot do? He goes right back to Sodom. He goes right back to where he's already been delivered from. What does Abraham do? Runs to Egypt. We're going to find that throughout human history, the same basic process has been in place. And it boils down to this. It's unbelief. Unbelief basically says, how can I get out of this? How can I escape the consequences that come into my life? And that's exactly what Isaac is doing right here. He said, how do I get out of this? Man, there's famine in the land. My flocks are decreasing. My wealth is decreasing. My family's having to live with less than they're used to. You know, this is well below what we're really, uh, you know, we've come to appreciate. Well, talk to Tim about what those people live on out on Tierrabamba. We need to do some serious repenting. Because what goes in our trash can is more than what they have to eat every day. So we get hung up on the things that we have and when something happens to them, all of a sudden, well, I fell out of favor with God. How do I get out of this? But faith, real faith, asks a very different question with almost the same words. 
what can I get out of this? What's God trying to teach me? How am I going to grow? You see, this problem of famine was an insanely opportunistic time for Isaac and his family to grow in trust in the Lord. And while it's not going to be fun, it is going to be fruitful. While it isn't going to be peaceable, it's going to bring about peace. Because they're going to learn to rest and trust in whatever God does in their life. That's an important lesson for us. You need to run from the world, not to the world. Amen? You see, just as Paul would write to the the church in Rome, look, tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character. When you go through stuff and you watch God be faithful, what happens to your faith? Skyrockets. When you go through difficult things and you watch God be faithful, your faith really grows. When you go through good times, you don't even know if God is being faithful in a general sense because things are good. But when they're not good and God provides anyway, your faith grows. When you you don't know. I remember when Connie and I came back from Austria and it was a little bit, for me as a man, tail between the legs time. You know, I went from important guy in business and owning companies and all those kind of things to coming back and living in a bedroom in Connie's parents' house. And I, I remember it's just like, man, Lord, what is this? What are we doing? Why are we here? And the Lord says, I've got a plan. And I, go, well, I don't really see it, God. And I remember sitting and just like bemoaning the situation in my own spirit. And God was separating me out so that he could do a work in my life so I would trust the Lord. I couldn't see it. About that time, Pastor Chuck gives me a call and, oh, we're building a youth camp and I'd like you to go up there and, you know, join join with the guys, you know. I had no idea what the Lord was doing. All I knew was there was a famine in the land. We're living in a bedroom. But I watched God be faithful. And I watched him provide. I wondered where we were going to raise our kids. We've come back from living in Austria. Our stuff's in a storage unit. But what grew eventually was my faith, our faith. It's like, God, we're just going to trust you. You said you'd take care of this. We're holding you to it. You know, strange thing? He's good for his promises. Amen? He's good for his promises. You can rest in that. He is, as Ephesians 2 says, rich in mercy. He does have great love for us. And even though when we were dead in our trespasses, he's made us alive. The only reason you're here tonight is Jesus. That's it. He's made you alive. He put breath into your life and you're here because of him. So he's got good plans for you. He's got good plans for us.
those temptations are going to come. To wrap this up tonight, the other temptation was the temptation to lie. Isaac could flee from that famine, but when he puts himself into that situation and there really wasn't any escape, he turned to deception, exactly like his father did. He turned to not telling the truth. You see, when you run towards the world, you're going to find yourself taking up the world's tactics. And because Jesus told us in John chapter 8 where all lies come from, amen? John 8, 44. Jesus looking, he's saying, you're of your father, the devil. Desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Doesn't stand for the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources because he is the father of all of them. Amen? So when you're tempted to not tell the truth, you're in enemy's territory. And when you run towards the world, one of the effects of running towards the world is you're tempted to compromise in the area of truth. When you run towards God, because God is truth, you're more likely to tell the truth. But you run towards the world, you're running towards the enemy, you're more likely to find yourself not telling the truth. In fact, the English poet John Dryden actually said the truth is the foundation of all knowledge and the cement of all societies. It goes well beyond the Bible. One of the problems that we have in our political climate right now is, guess what? A complete lack of truth, amen? People stand, stare right into a camera and make all kinds of promises and don't do a thing with any of them. Truth is essential if a society is going to function. How much more so do you think it is in your relationship with the true and the living God, who himself is absolutely truth? And so here goes Isaac, and he's like, well, you know, he's my sister. Worked for my dad. Not. Right? You tell the truth, you're never going to regret telling the truth. The enemy wants you to think you're going to regret telling the truth, but you're you're not going to regret it. The truth is always going to be true. A lie you're going to always have to remember. I'll give you some little pointers here. The more interesting gossip is, the more likely it is untruth. Amen? Nothing makes a long story short like the arrival of the person you're talking about. Or it isn't so much the things that go in one ear and out the other that hurt as the things that go in one ear get all mixed up and then slip out the mouth. Truth is essential for us as people of the Lord. And here's why. That's a very simple truth. Because if Jesus Christ is the truth, amen? He said that about himself, by the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. So if Jesus is truth, he declared himself to be the word or logos, all that there is to be known, and he declared that all that there is to be known is truth, 
then what does it do to our ability to share the good news of the gospel, which is supposed to be truth, if we hide it in untruth? If our lives are lived out in such a way that our lives are marked by lies, it completely negates the truth. Because people then begin to look at our lives and go, well, if you can't tell the truth about your past employment, then how can I trust you with the word of life, which is eternal? And so here is this area of compromise in Isaac's life that seems almost silly to us, but it's a big deal to God. Some people, and I've actually heard some, unfortunately, people who have pastor in front of their name say, you can almost applaud Isaac because this is a pretty good story. No, you can't applaud Isaac because this is just another dumb lie, just like his dad told. But the reason it's so bad, now what do you think the Philistines think about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That he's a liar. That he messes with people's heads. That the representative of this God would do something as foolish as lie about his own wife because he's worried about his own. He's worried about his life. It's important that we're people of integrity as believers. That unbelief that we have often ends up being untruth. And it shames the name of the Lord. As Philip Brooks wisely said, truth is always strong no matter how weak it looks, but falsehood is always weak no matter how strong it looks. And so some lessons that we can learn here. Never, ever, ever entertain running to the world. Never. Resist the temptation to run away from those tests that God puts in your life because he's actually trying to strengthen your faith. Always tell the truth and let the Lord be your defense. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. I'm going to have the pastors come forward. Maybe you need prayer tonight, some area of life. Something going on that God's doing. Be careful in this world. You know, we we are in a perilous time where I think we have great opportunity to be used of the Lord because the world is is really ready for something different than what it's seeing. But we have to give them something different than what it's seeing. So we've got to be different than the world. We can't run to it. We've got to run from it. And while we run from it, we need to run with the truth in mind. Amen. Father, thank you for this time in your word. And we pray that you'd strengthen us, Lord. We're so grateful for your goodness to us. And, and God, in our moments of temptation, when we're tempted to run towards the world and away from you, God, would you help us to see clearly where we need to be better doers of the word? Lord, that we're not just hearers, we're not deceived in and of ourselves. And God, we pray that you'd keep us ever in your truth. Lord, we ask that you would block those doors that we shouldn't open. We, we pray that you would help to open those ones that we need to walk through. 
And God, when you've planted us in the land, so to speak, Lord, would you help us to be content there? Lord, that we would walk with you all of our days. We're so grateful for these examples. Lord, even though at times they're negative, we can glean from this, Lord. We don't have to repeat the mistakes of our fathers. Lord, not in the word and not in the things that we do in life. We, we can straighten these things out and, and be that generation that walks with you hand in hand and watch you walk with us. And so, Lord, we're, we're grateful for tonight. Pray that you'd bless us. Send us out from here with joy and peace, strength for the day as people of the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.